Welcome to the teaching ministry at Magnolia's First. We hope the next few minutes will help you take your next steps on your faith journey. And we would love to help you take those next steps. Just head over to m1bc.org and fill out the connect form and a pastor will get in touch with you very soon. Or you can text us at 281-343-3033. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. So good to see each one of you and we welcome those who are watching online. We're so glad that you are involved in worship and the study of Scripture with us today. Uh, we are in our last three weeks of our journey through Paul's letter to the church at Philippi uh, that we call his letter of joy. And I want to go back as we begin this morning to chapter 1 to remind you why Paul was writing to those early Christ followers, what it was that he hoped and prayed would happen as a result of the communication of truth that he was to give to them guided by the Holy Spirit. So go back with me all the way to chapter 1, beginning with verse 9. Here's what he said to those believers, and let it be as if he is saying it to your heart today as well. He said, I pray that your love will overflow more and more, and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters, so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. Paul says, my prayer for you, Philippian believers, is that you will keep on growing. And this is such a, a perfect New Testament letter to be my last series with you as pastor because the prayer that Cindy and I have for all of you is that same prayer that you would keep on growing. And Paul talks about that very process as we find ourselves in chapter 3 of Philippians in these weeks. Dr. Roger Yancey, who will be your interim pastor during the time that your search committee is seeking God's will for a new permanent senior pastor. Dr. Yancey, on February the 12th, in his message, talked about the three aspects or the three dimensions of salvation. And I want to remind you, we talked about them last week as well, but I, I want, want you to understand this clearly. The three dimensions of salvation. First of all, there is justification. Justification. That happens when you step across the line of faith, when you turn your back on the sin of your past and you turn to Jesus in faith and you trust in him as Savior and Lord and you commit your life to him and your heart in allegiance to him and you take that step and you proclaim it through believer's baptism. And in the instant that you open your heart and put your faith in Christ, you are justified by the blood of Jesus. It is your justification, the restoration of a right and perfect and unified relationship with a God, a heavenly Father, who is holy. That is justification. And the second dimension 
is sanctification. And sanctification begins when you put your faith in Christ, when you step across the line of faith. But it doesn't just begin when you take that step. It continues all the way to the end of your earthly life when you go on to heaven, uh, until the day you take your last breath here on earth or Jesus returns, Lord, may it be so. Whichever one comes first from the past point until that takes place, you're on a journey. You're in a process. We call it here at Magnolia's First, your faith journey. You're growing in what it means to live for Jesus and to look like Jesus and to reflect Jesus to others. It's sanctification. And then the the final step is when your life ends or Christ returns and you stand in his presence in all of his glory and as a heavenly child who has finally come home, that is your glorification. And we sang about stand amazed in his presence. Uh, In that day, we will stand amazed in his presence, not just to sing worship songs together or hymns, but we will be in his presence. That is our glorification. So justification, sanctification, and then glorification. And I want you to think with me for a minute that justification and glorification are instantaneous moment-in-time events. Are you following me? They happen and at an instant, at a moment in your life, one at the beginning of your faith journey, one at the end of your faith journey. But in between the two, sanctification is a lifelong process. It is a journey that encompasses your whole earthly life after the point of your conversion. And as you think of your faith journey, your sanctification Don't we wish that it was just a straight, not too steep, uphill journey until we get to the top of the mountain and Jesus is there and heaven awaits? Don't we wish it was just nice and steady and slow and not too steep? But the reality is it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. We are living in a fallen world We are redeemed sinners, but we're still sinners. We still have a sinful nature. And so none of our faith journeys look like that. Uh, We stumble. Our progress is sporadic. We uh, sometimes take detours. Sometimes we may even have seasons where we get completely off the path before the Lord draws draws us back onto the, the journey's road. That's just the way faith journeys are for believers. And things happen. Do you remember how Paul began chapter 3 last week when, when he said, whatever happens, and he went on to teach us. And as we said, because we live in a fallen world, there are a lot of whatevers that happen in your life and in mine. And so our faith journey, it, it, it kind of meanders through the history of our life. Uh, my favorite pastor teacher is a guy named Chuck Swindoll. You may have heard me say that before. And he really captured the essence of this reality in his classic book, uh, 
three steps forward, two steps back. And here's what he said I want to quote from the introduction. Pastor Chuck said, If for no other reason than to uphold reality, Christians need to be told that difficulty and pressure are par for the course. No amount of biblical input or deeper life conferences or super victory seminars will remove our human struggles. God promises no bubble of protection, no guaranteed release from calamity. Just ask guys like Job or Joseph or Daniel or Paul. He's absolutely right. And let me remind you that the Apostle Paul wrote Philippians as well as Ephesians and Colossians and Philemon. He wrote Philippians from prison in Rome. Um, this week I was filling out something online. I don't even remember what it was. It had something to do with our move. And, and you know how it is when you start something new online. They want a username and a password, which I can never remember. And then sometimes they ask security questions, and you've got to answer those correctly to access what, whatever it might be. And so the security question that came up uh, in this particular thing was, who is your hero? And I thought, okay, if we're talking about my childhood, I, I know who my hero was as a child. Uh, let me see if you can guess it. If you figure it out, don't yell out his name until I cue you, all right? You ready? Faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings with a single bound. Look in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's... Superman. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't that fun? I, I was really, let's do it again. No, let's don't. But as a kid, I used to tape a, a towel, you know, on my back, and I'd jump on the couch, and I'd be flying. But I thought it might be a little weird for a 70-something-year-old guy <laughs> to put a fictional character who has a red cape as his hero. So I thought, okay, who is, who is my hero? And I thought, I'll put Jesus. You know, that's, that's real pastry. I'll put Jesus. And then I thought... No, that's almost demeaning to Jesus because Jesus is much more than a hero to me. He's my Lord and Master and Savior. So who is my hero? And I have to say, of all the humans that have walked the earth other than the Lord Jesus, the Apostle Paul is my hero. Well, what, a, what a story of God's redeeming love. What a trophy of God's grace was the Apostle Paul. And yet we will see in today's part of his letter to the Philippians that not even his faith journey was smooth and perfect and flawless and straight. Our focal passage today is Philippians 3, verses 12 through 21. And the title of today's message is I haven't arrived, but I'm pressing on. Now, to understand what Paul was focused on, to understand what, what his glorious obsession 
was, we have to go back two verses in chapter 3 into last week's passage and hear what it was that had become the, the divine obsession of his life. So go there with me, chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Paul said, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. This was the greatest desire of the heart of the Apostle Paul. Every day that he lived, he was longing for this, that he might know Christ in his mighty power, his resurrection power. And as I think of the Apostle Paul as a hero, I think, well, if anybody could obtain that, it would be Paul. I mean, the, the great apostle, the catalytic missionary, the, the, the church planter of the, of the first century, it would have to be Paul. So surely he, he achieved it, he made it, but then he begins our passage today, verse 12. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. You know what, Paul, that sounds like you're admitting failure. I mean, we read that, come on, we read that and we think, hey, if the apostle Paul couldn't be successful, what chance have I got? Uh, if it's that hard, then why should I even try? Is it just some kind of pie-in-the-sky impossibility? No. And so I want to say to some of you that came in here today, and right at this point in your faith journey, in your life, you're struggling. You're experiencing some sort of difficulty, or you've had some kind of failure, or you're confused about something, and you're beginning to think, hey, this thing of the Christian life, it's just too hard. I, I, I can't do it. So why should I even keep on trying? And I want to say to you, if that's you today, I want to say to you that the Apostle Paul's very vulnerable, personal testimony that we hear in today's passage, it's for you and it's for me. And, and he wants us to understand, now don't, don't miss this if you've been tuned out, he wants us to understand that when it comes to our faith journey, it's not about perfection, it's about progress. It's not about perfection. It's about progress. He's not asking or expecting that you would be perfect because all of us don't measure up. But are you making progress in your faith journey of following Jesus? A biblically grounded Christ follower understands that everybody's faith journey is going to take some, some detours, it's going to have some roadblocks. It's going to have some dry spells. It's going to have some setbacks. It's going to have some failures. It's going to have seasons where you fall into the pit of self-pity. It's, it's going to be tough at times. It was that way for Paul, too. And so he tells us what became so 
important. Verse 12, the last part of the verse. He said, I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. I hadn't made it yet. I haven't arrived yet, but I'm pressing on. Here's the reality. Follow me on this. We can't change our past. Do you agree with that? We can't change our past. It's all in the history book of our lives. But we hold the present and the future of our lives in our hands today. We can't change the past. It's written. It's done. But today is still being written, and tomorrow will be written. And the Apostle Paul realized this, and it gave him focus. Verse 13 he said, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. So let me ask you something. Can I get just, just a little bit personal? Has the enemy been whispering in your ear and telling you about the things that you have failed at in the past? Has he been reminding you of the, the times that you were unfaithful in some public or perhaps some secret way you were unfaithful to God? Is he whispering in your ear, you'll never measure up. You'll never be successful in this Christian life thing. You're nothing but a failure. If that's the case, can I tell you he's lying to you? He's lying to you. Don't miss this statement. The blood of Jesus has covered all the sins and failures of your past. And God is ready to empower you for the future. <laughs> Do you think the enemy tried that number on the Apostle Paul? You bet he did. He whispered in his ear, hey, Paul, or should I say Saul, don't you remember how you used to persecute and imprison the early followers of the way? That's what they called the first Christians. Some of those innocent people are still in prison because of you, Saul. Don't you remember the day that your fellow Pharisees stoned that innocent, godly man named Stephen and you were complicit in that. You watched as they threw the rocks that assassinated and martyred him, and you even held their coats while they did it. How do you think you can ever lead the church of Jesus Christ? I have no doubt the enemy attacked Paul in the same way that he wants to attack us, to shame us and guilt us of our failures of the past. And that's why Paul said, forgetting the past. Does that mean he didn't know those things happened? No. Forgetting the past, which he means he took the past and he put it in the past. He put it where it belonged. And he embraced the reality of all those horrible things that he'd done, all the times he'd failed. He, because of the blood of Christ, was now forgiven. And so are you forgiven. 
Listen, this, this thing about forgetting the past and leaving it in the past and putting it behind us is important because, don't miss this, trying to make spiritual progress while you're dragging your past with you is saying the blood of Jesus isn't enough. And the blood of Jesus is enough. You are forgiven. The Apostle Paul was, was not forgetting it in the sense that he didn't know those horrific sins had happened. But he refused to let the enemy put them on his back with shame and guilt and to keep him from moving forward in his journey of following Jesus. And so he said in verse 14, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. The term translated there, press on, is an athletic term. Uh, it's a track and field term. I had somebody come to me after the first service, and he said, you know, when I was in my youth running track in high school and college, our, our track coach always told us that as we were getting near the end of the race, not to look at the people that were running on either side of us, but to look at that tape and to stretch toward that tape. And that's the kind of term that Paul is using here. I'm stretching forward. I'm running hard to finish the race well. And can I just tell you that your faith journey is not a stroll on the beach? That's something Cindy and I love to do. We have a little timeshare in Galveston. We go three or four times a week, and one of our favorite things to do is hold hands and walk on the beach, and we walk slow, and it's, it's just so nice. You hear the waves. Our faith journey's not like that. It's running a race. It's stretching to the end. It's running to win. And what, what are we winning? He says, the heavenly Prize. Now, let me clarify something here. There are some who teach that the heavenly prize is salvation, that we are to run, and if we run faithfully enough, at the end, he'll say, you made it. You, you did well enough. You can be saved. Come on in. That's not true. Our salvation is not dependent upon our faithfulness to God. It's all about his faithfulness to us. It's all about the, I need to get an amen from somebody besides my wife, all right? It, it, but thank you, darling, for that amen. It is not about our faithfulness to God. It's about his faithfulness to us, that he sent Jesus to die for us. The blood of Jesus purchased our salvation, paid in full. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. We receive that as the free gift of grace by faith. So that's not the heavenly prize. So what is Paul talking about that he's running to win? It is the heavenly reward that awaits the believer as they finally arrive home and they are rewarded for their faithfulness to God. When they stand before Jesus and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the glories of our Father. And if I may paraphrase, your mansion is ready and it's filled with your rewards. That's what we're running for, 
to please our master, to come to the end, to know that we gave him all of our heart and all of our life. We need to keep our eye on the prize. That's what Paul's trying to teach us here. If you think your faith is just a benefit to be enjoyed on earth, if this is just to help you live your best life now, you don't understand the Scripture. You haven't understood its eternal significance. And Paul says in verse 15, let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will straighten you out. Well, it doesn't say that exactly. He'll make it plain to you. Paul is saying, if growing spiritually is not your highest priority, you need to realize it's time for you to grow up in Christ. It's time to grow up. It's time to quit making it a stroll on the beach. It's time to quit playing games with your faith. It's time to grow up, understand the times that we're living in. I mean, just think about it. We live in an era of war. I, I think the most dangerous era of wartime is, is right ahead of us since World War II. And during World War II, there weren't dictators with nuclear arsenals at their fingertips. We live in a treacherous, dangerous world. Here's another reason that it's time. The greatest percentage of people in our culture all over the world today profess no faith in God whatsoever, much less a faith in Jesus Christ. Our world, our culture is becoming more and more secular by the day. And here's one last reason it's time to grow up. We are closer to the return of Christ and the end of the age of grace than we've ever been. We are closer to the end of that season of human history in which people have the opportunity to receive Christ by faith and have eternal life as a gift. One day, the door's going to close when Jesus comes back. And so Paul says to them, it's time to move forward in your faith. He, he said, this is not the time for you to change from a three steps forward, two steps back, believer, into a two steps forward and three steps back, believer. Because if you do, you're losing ground. You're going backward. And he says in verse 16, but we must hold on to the progress that we've already made. You can't go backwards. So how do you do that? How do you hold on to the progress you've made and keep moving forward? More time in the Word of God? More moments of prayer and communication with God? More time in the, the community of believers that worship and study together? Yes, all of those things. Paul mentions one more thing that is also vitally important. Verse 17, dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those 
who follow our example. What is he saying? He's saying you need a spiritual mentor. You need somebody who's farther along and more mature in their faith journey than you are. You need somebody who, who has real flesh and blood reality of their faith, and you can watch them and learn from them and hear from them the things of God. You don't expect them to be perfect, but they need to be authentic and genuine. You need a spiritual mentor. And if you don't have a spiritual mentor, you must ask God to give you one. And you must be willing to become one to somebody who's not as far along as you are. That's the body of Christ. But can I just give you a, a word of warning here? Be discerning who you pick. Because not everybody who says they are spiritually mature really are. You need to examine their life to see if they're humble, if they're wise, if they're really living out the fruit of the Spirit. Paul could say, follow me, because he was the real deal. He wasn't perfect. He hadn't arrived but he was authentic and genuine, and you need somebody like that in your life. Somebody who will lift you up spiritually. Somebody who will help you on your faith journey to make spiritual progress. Not somebody who's going to put you down and shame you when you're less than perfect. And so he warns them of people that would pull them down. Verse 18, he said, For I've told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they're really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. Now, the Apostle Paul is not saying here, you should have no contact with unbelievers. You need to put yourself and your family in a little spiritual bubble and keep those dirty sinners out. That's not what he's saying here. We are to have contact with people who don't know Christ. We are to be those who live out the gospel in front of them so that they might see what Jesus looks like in a real human being's life. And I want you to, to put your finger in Philippians 3 and go with me for a moment to a prayer that Jesus prayed for you. Hang with me. I'll be done here in a minute. We call the Lord's Prayer what is really the model prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You, you, you know that. We call that the Lord's Prayer. But really, the Lord's Prayer is found in John 17. It's the prayer that Jesus prayed, not as a model, but a prayer that he prayed for his disciples and for you and for me. And here it is, John 17, beginning with verse 14. Jesus prayed this for you. I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. 
Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. Here's a saying I've heard all my life in church. See if any of you have heard it. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. Back to Philippians 3, verse 20. But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies. Hey, I'm ready for that, aren't you? I'll have a strong heart and lots of hair. And change, I'm sorry. And change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. May that day come quickly, Lord Jesus. Because of our salvation by grace through faith and because of his presence in our hearts by the Holy Spirit and because of the destination to which we are heading, we're to be different. We're to be Christ-like. We're to be growing in our faith. Though we will never reach perfection, not even Paul did, we're to be in the process of becoming more like Jesus every day until that day that we arrive home. Well, I'm going over time, but I don't care. Because <laughs> I only got two more weeks after today, so I'm going to unload the whole dump truck load on you. So just a couple more minutes before we're done. What do we do with this? What are the, the summary takeaways? I'm going to give you three quickly. Here's what this means for you and for me. Number one, run the race like you know where you're going. Run the race like you know where you're going. It's not a stroll on the beach, but run the race of the Christian life with intent and purpose and focus because there's so much at stake. And when the enemy starts whispering stuff in your ear to try to pull your, your heart away, just remember, he has nothing to offer you that's as good as what Jesus has for you. Here's the second. Don't look back at your failures and regrets. He would trap you in the shame and guilt of your past that God has already forgiven that he has thrown our sin as far as the east is from the west, that God has chosen not to remember that we did those things because they are now covered with the blood of Jesus. Leave the past in the past. Trust God for today and believe in him for your future. Don't look back at your failures and regrets. One more. Learn from your spiritual mentors. If you don't have one, pray and find one. Learn from your spiritual mentors and then pass along what you learn by how you live and what you say. May everyone who knows you 
have no doubt of whose team you are running for. Let's pray together. Father, help us to run the race of the Christian life faithfully. Help us to run it with focus. Help us to run it with endurance. Help us to run it in a way that honors you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, let me just say this word. We're all the way to 1215. If you need prayer and you'd like Cindy and I to pray for you, come to the hospitality room. We'd be glad to do that. If you want to make a decision for Christ, just come tell us. We'll help you do it. God bless you. Love you all. Have a great week.